I believe it'll be Psalm 100. We'll get started in. And I want to talk this morning a little bit concerning praising God. As I mentioned to you last week, we had finished that series of sermons on financial areas with regards to what the Word of the Lord says and building a memorial. And then we have a couple weeks here that are right before the holiday season. And uh, I just wanted to take a couple of these Sundays and talk about some foundational topics that are good to come back. For many of you, I suspect it will be a review. For others of you, maybe you've never considered it before, and so there might be some new things. But I believe it's good to review. Sometimes we forget why we do what we do. And uh, December, though, will be a great month. Uh, we've got some fresh word. I, I've, I've just I started reading the Christmas story over again. I mentioned to you that whenever I read the Christmas story, sometimes it's hard. I feel like I'm a caged animal. I'm like I'm, I have to be contained within about three chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, but the Lord just started speaking on some great stuff, and so we'll have some fresh, fresh material, some fresh word for the Christmas season. And so every week through December will be great, and we'll get to celebrate the holidays well as we listen to what God's going to tell us. Uh, through his word as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Psalm 100, we want to talk a little bit on what I've entitled this morning, Why We Praise Him Like We Do. Why We Praise Him Like We Do. Can I just say something as we get started off and I talk a little bit about praising God? Um, you know, whenever we talk about issues of praise and why we praise Him and how we praise Him, it is just, it, it happens invariably. That, that you have to deal with people's tastes, people's style, people's preferences. You have to deal with people's personality, people's disposition, the way people grew up, what they've experienced their whole life. All of these things suddenly converge on this one topic. There are a couple different topics in the Bible that it seems like these things particularly uh, come to bear and, and provide a pressure whenever we're talking about this particular area. And so I want to just say up front as we talk about praise, and, and we might touch on worship just a little bit, that, you know, God wants you to love Him. He loves you, and He wants you to love Him. Now, I just want to make sure we understand that, that God loves you unconditionally. I, I mean, He loves everyone unconditionally. So as we begin to talk about praising God and how the Bible says that God enjoys being praised, I, I don't want to create an atmosphere that somehow says, well, you know, you know, if... If I don't like that or I'm not comfortable with that, somehow I'm a second-class citizen. I'll just say it right up front. I don't, I don't think there has to be a second-class citizen in the kingdom if you really love God. You know, the older I get, I'm finding my energy level is depleting. So I still am zealous in my worship of God. I'm still zealous in my praise of God. I'm just finding that the manifestation of that zeal isn't quite as demonstrative at times as it was when I was, you know, 30 years old. But, but I don't think I'm a second-class citizen. So I just want to encourage you to listen and to begin to apply and to let it be a challenge for you to maybe step out of a boat and just begin to love God in a way that maybe you've never loved Him before. If I were to say this to the husbands, let's say, or to the wives, that if you were struggling in your relationship and one of you didn't feel loved by the other one, and if I were to suggest some things that you might do in order to help demonstrate your love more to your wife or to your husband, I mean, that could be a value, don't you think, in a relationship? 
I, I, I mean, if you keep doing the same things you're doing in your earthly relationships and someone's not feeling like they're loved, then it seems like you're beginning to do something that can cause, that can cause a fracturing. It can be hurtful, certainly. And all you would have to do maybe is implement a couple of things and it could really enhance your relationship. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that as we begin to express our love and our adoration to God, as we begin to thank Him, let's, let's just let Him help us a little bit as to how we can maybe work on that relationship with Him so we can begin to express that in a greater way. And who knows, He may interact in our life in a far greater way as well. So uh, why we praise him like we do, Psalm 100, beginning with verse 1, this is what it says. It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Amen. Now for years, I'm going to be honest with you, I preached the gospel, traveled, held meetings, taught the word of God, but I'll be candid with you, I did not understand the spiritual precepts and the spiritual foundation behind praising God. I looked at praise, I looked at singing songs or hymns or spiritual songs, I looked at it strictly from the natural perspective. Now this was years ago, but there was a time that I saw the worship of God, the praise and the worship of God as sort of the needed preliminaries. You know, how do you get service started before you get to the real important stuff like preaching? So, so I sort of viewed singing and, and, and the singing of hymns as the preliminaries. That was what you did, just sort of to get people in, get them comfortable. It's what you did just to get service going, you know, and, and, and just preliminary stuff. And uh, you just needed to warm up the crowd. Well, then for a while I thought that maybe praise and worship was sort of that part of the service because, you know, certain people have emotional needs. And so that was the portion of the service that you could meet the emotional, you know, aspects of people's spirituality and religion and so I sort of thought in that particular vein and for those that were more cerebral and intellectual you know we get to the preaching again you know it always boiled down to the preaching but as I began to study God's word and even on an experiential basis I began to find out that praise and worship was an indispensable aspect of my spiritual life and it should be of all of our spiritual lives now the day in which you and I live in is interesting because many churches now this wasn't always so in fact those of you that have walked with the Lord for maybe a couple decades now will remember that back in the uh, late 70s, early 1980s, I mean, we used to have worship wars. I mean, I mean, you just brought in a few courses, man, and it could cause a stir. Nowadays, we don't think much about it. In fact, most every church that's out there, of course, there are mainline churches that still perform a far more traditional expression of worship, and that's fine, no critique of that, but more and more churches are finding their worship service to be far more contemporary, they will call it. In fact, you'll see it on the signs in front of churches. They'll say contemporary worship service. Or they will have maybe one service that's traditional and one service that's contemporary. Or I'm finding that there are some churches that will use the phrase blended. Which means we'll give you two hymns and two contemporary songs in order to somehow hopefully meet everybody's 
tastes. And so we have all this happening. And of course, there's all sorts of new instruments that come on the platform. I can remember growing up in church where all you had was a piano on one side and an organ on the other. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it was all about. And if you got really wild, you know, someone would do a guitar solo, you know. But boy, that was edgy. I remember growing That was edgy. So now, you know, we've got congas and bongas and basses and drums and guitars, flutes and violins. And, and uh, you know, I'd love to see some horn players. And I mean, there'd be all sorts of instruments that we could bring to it. But it's interesting that all sorts of churches do contemporary, what they call contemporary worship. And, and, and there's this mentality, I think, that's beginning to develop that I just want to address. Because it's important that we understand that when we come... And just because we do contemporary songs doesn't make that praise or worship any more than if we sang hymns you were doing praise or worship. In fact, I can remember that one of the reasons that, that I finally got tired of hymns was we'd all mouth the words, but ain't no worship going on. And so there was something in me that just said, man, it was dead, it was dry. Maybe Martin Luther got a buzz on that, but it ain't buzzing me all that much. Maybe, maybe, you know... A Mendelssohn, he, you know, maybe he touched God. Handel got a hold of God. Maybe, but I ain't getting a hold of God through this. And, and that's why I believe that every generation has an expression of worship to God. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong again. It's not being critical, but, but we went to contemporary and the charismatics got a hold of contemporary and people would come to their church and there was something inside that they would, they would leap to and it would latch, their spirits would latch onto it and there was a capacity to begin to worship God and, and to praise him. But, but this is what has started to happen. Now that we have done that for 20, almost 30 years, now we've, we, we've got churches. And again, I, I'm not judging anyone except to say if we're not careful, we can sing contemporary tunes and it's not worship and it's not praise. And it's not just finding a new sound. Like, okay, now we go to rap, you know, or something like that. I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> But the point being is, is that, that praise and worship is far more than the style of music that comes out. As a matter of fact, I personally believe, and I'll just, I'll just, I, there's always one controversial thing I need to say every Sunday. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't be legacy, right? I think sometimes real praise has been hijacked by the phrase contemporary worship. I mean, you can go to numbers of churches, different brands on the front. They'll be playing their guitars and their drums and their basses and doing all the synthesizing and all the rest. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's a good sound. But there ain't nobody praising God. And there is not a spiritual repercussion that takes place through that moment. And that's the point we need to get a hold of. I'm all for great sounds and I'm all for the... You know, expression that can bring people's heart into a worship relationship with God. But we got to make sure we're connecting spiritually. And, and so what does move me is the word of God. And the word of God, obviously, is the owner's manual. And I, and I just want to share a couple things in this particular area. Psalm 150, if you just bear with me, I want to read a few things. Psalm 150 says this. Praise God. Excuse me. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. That's here. Praise him in his mighty firmament. That's out there. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. That's the bass and the guitar right there. All right. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So basically, I can synopsize that psalm 
psalm with this. Everything is designed to give praise to God. Everything. Now, I've had people look at me and say, well, you know, Pastor, that's Old Testament, and you know folks weren't as refined back then as we are today. You know, they weren't quite as sophisticated as we are today. They weren't quite as smart, perhaps, as we are today. They're just, you know, these poor, dumb nomads. They didn't know any better, and that's just kind of how they did it. But, you know, we're much smarter here in the 21st century. And whenever I hear that, I always say to myself, really? They saw miracles that I've yet to see. They saw glory that I've yet to see. They saw the power of God that I've yet to see. They had a manifested presence of God that I've yet to see or experience. So I'm really not sure they were all that poor, dumb, or nomadic. You see, a lot of folks think the worship pattern of the Old Testament isn't valid in the New Testament. And that's not quite true. You see, we didn't switch gods at the cross. Jesus didn't come, he says himself, to destroy the law and the prophets. But he said that he had come to fulfill that. And while it is true the cross changed the sacrificial system because Jesus became that lamb once and for all slain for the sins of the world. So we no longer have to bring the blood of bulls and goats. We no longer have to bring cattle into the house of God and slit their throats and offer up a sacrifice. We no longer have to do that. But truth of the matter is the way we praise him did not change. I mean, if there was a spirit of celebration under a covenant that was ratified by the blood of bulls and goats. Think about this for just a minute. Slitting throats, bleeding animals, putting them on a brazen altar, smoke everywhere. I mean, if there was a celebration, can you imagine? Hallelujah, my goat is dead. Praise God. Well, I won't say that to them. You don't want to hear that. My, 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 my cattle's dead. My sins are forgiven. I mean, I don't. can you imagine the celebration that oftentimes we'll look at? You read the life of David and how he praised God as they would sacrifice bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. He danced his clothes off. How much more if, if we celebrated under a covenant that celebrated the blood of bulls and goats, how much more should we celebrate under a covenant ratified by the precious blood of Jesus Christ? How much more? And, and, and so we need to understand that it's, that it's a fulfillment. My praise is now fulfilled. My worship is fulfilled in Him. Now let me kind of give a definition, and, and I'm going to go through for all the heady people that are here this morning. This will help you, so zero in with me for just a moment. But let me define for you what praise is, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Praise, in its essence, is the adoration or the loving of God. The adoration or the loving of God. Very simple. When we praise God, it is our way of demonstrating to Him that we love Him. I think sometimes we treat God like a struggling marriage. We tell Him once that we love Him, and if that changes, we'll let Him know. How many realize that doesn't work in your relationships? And the only reason we think it works with God is because we aren't confronted by that look we get, guys, from our wives when we try to pass that off on Him. You know, if we were to say to our wives, I told you once, when I married you, I loved you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. And I, 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 I mean, you'd get a look. And the only reason that, that cuts it with God is, is because since God is spirit, we don't get the look. So we aren't confronted that that doesn't work with him either. Praise in the scriptures is always active. It's assertive. It's demonstrative. It's open. There's always sounds and songs and 
actions and movement that is associated with praise. Is that not true? Is that not true with love? Isn't love, when it's expressed, hugging and speaking and demonstrating? Sure it is. So it is with our God. Now with the Hebrew scripture, uh, we find many words that are translated praise. It would take literally months of Sundays to study all that there is to study about praise and all the words that are used for it. But there are a couple of them that I think are really important. And, and so I just want to underscore these couple just for a moment so I can sew that back into you. The first one, the first word, probably the highest premier word for praise found in the scriptures is the word halal. Everyone say halal. halal. Now you know it as hallelujah. That's where we get it from. It actually means halal, halal Yahweh. And we just cut it down to say hallelujah. We just kind of cut his name right there and... And it actually means the, the praise of God, the praise of Yahweh. If you were to define it, it actually means to boast or to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish for the Lord. This is the word. This is hallelujah. This is the word for adoration for God. It is to be head over heels. Hallelujah means to be head over heels in love with God. Now, I know people oftentimes say I'm, I'm comparing apples and oranges, but, but you've heard the analogy before, how, how we'll go to sporting events, and whether it be a, a football game or whether it be a, a baseball or basketball game, and I, we're getting to that time of year and that season where we'll turn on and watch all the holiday ball games. I'll do that, and we'll find guys who are cheering for their NFL team and they'll be up north, you know, in New England or New York or somewhere way north, you know, where there's a playoff football game and they'll come in without a shirt on, you know, painted half and half, whatever their team's colors are, screaming their brains out in the end zone, blowing horns. I, I mean, these are grown men. Now, I understand they probably are a tad bit inebriated in order to do that. But nonetheless, there they are in the end zone. And, and, and they're just acting crazy. I mean, you go to Minnesota, they'll dress up like Vikings. You know, you, you go to Patriots games, they'll dress up like colonial people. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. You go to Green Bay. I mean, you got to be a fan to root for them in the wintertime in Green Bay. I mean, sub-zero weather. They've got, you know, they're out there without a shirt on, green and yellow with a big chunk of cheese on their head. I mean, they'll go out there and they will do that because they love their team. They don't care how it looks. They don't care what people think. In fact, they're trying to get on television. The camera will go and they'll sit there and be waving at it. Look at me. Look at me. And we do that for a sporting event. Now, I understand. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't do that for a sporting event. Now, I'd, I'd get up and I'd cheer and I'd, I'd, I'd probably yell and scream for my team. I mean, I have my parameters too. I probably wouldn't do that. At a football game, I certainly wouldn't take my shirt off in sub-zero weather. I can assure you of that. But the point I'm trying to make is, is there are some areas of our life that we just, we just don't think much about it when it comes to adoration, appreciation, love. I mean, there are certain areas in our life that we'll clap our hands or, or we'll cheer our team on. Or when Clemson or Carolina is ready to kick off, you know, we'll do whatever they do. And we don't think a thing about it. But when it comes to loving God, somehow or another, it's... Now, you can love God like that. I'm not saying you can't love God like that. I'm just simply saying, though, work, work that through for just a minute. Is there a way I can express my adoration to God and love Him in a way that He will know that I appreciate Him more than words can say? 
Second word is the word yada. Everyone say yada. yada. See, you're going to be Hebrew scholars for the morning's over. Yada means to worship with extended hands. To worship God with extended hands. This is the second most frequently translated word for praise. But all through scripture we see people lifting their hands. The Bible says to bless the Lord. And how did they bless the Lord? The Bible says that you bless the Lord by the lifting up or the raising up of hands. And so our hands are an inevitable part of almost every response we have in life. I don't know if you thought about this, but your hands can give you away. Your hands can, can begin to communicate things that no other part of the body can communicate. For instance, just out of curiosity, if I were to go, what did my hands communicate? What if, what if, what if, what if, we, what if we hide our hands? We might, we might be worried. We might be guilty. If we wring our hands, there might be anxiety. If we're desperate, we throw up our hands. If we greet somebody, we, we shake hands. To celebrate some, some action, maybe it could be with a child, maybe it could be with, a, with a, a loved one or a friend that they did something great, we will clap. Well, to worship God, the Bible tells us that we can extend our hands. And I've heard people say this before to me, and, and we always work through this in our particular circles because there's this strain out there that says, oh, that's just emotionalism, and, and God knows we wouldn't want to be emotional. Now think about this for just a minute. When your kids were little, the greatest moment was, without a single word, if that little child walked up to you and just went, and what would you do? You'd sit there and you'd pick them up, and you'd hold them right there. I didn't have to consult an expert to know what to do. I, I, didn't, have, I didn't have to have you know, do my Greek etymo etymological studies in order to understand what was going on at that particular moment. What they were saying at that moment, they just, they just, they said, I want you. I want you, Dad. I want you, Mom. And we didn't look at him and say, stop it. You charismatic kid, stop it. <laughs> it's emotionalism. Don't let anybody see that. Just do. The only time we do that is behind closed doors. We do that in a small group. It didn't matter. It could be in front of everybody. And if that child comes with their arms and they just come running, there's no greater sight than to watch a child that loves you come running with their arms like this. There's no greater sight than that. Can you imagine what God must feel in his heart when his children just come and say, God, I love you. I, I worship you. The third word, and I'm not going through many here, but the third word is Shabbat. Everyone say Shabbat. Shabbat. Yeah. Shabbat means to shout in a loud voice. To shout in a loud voice. In the Hebrew, there are eight different words for shout. Eight different words for shout. In fact, I, I think if you study it, that you'll find that there are eight different kinds of shouts. There are, there are triumphant shouts and joyful shouts. There are shouts for help. There are shouts that take you into battle. In Psalm 100, verse 1, I've already read it to you. It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Psalm 95, verse 1, it says, shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And one of my favorite verses is in Psalm 33, verse 3. That's one of my favorite verses because it says, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. I read that for the first time and I thought to myself, there's a skill to a good shout. I mean, there's an unskilled shout 
But then there's a skilled shout. I mean, it's just not any shout, but God wants a shout that you've done a little practice with. I mean, it ought not to just be anything that comes up. It ought to be a skillful shout. So we need that. When we shout to God, I mean, there ought to be something in us that can identify. I, I need to shout to God with joy. I need to shout to God with triumph. I need to shout with God to let Him know that He is great and worthy of my praise. I'm not going to let a basketball, a football, I'm not going to let man's concerts and symphony orchestras, and I'm not going to let anything else take, take my highest praise except my God. And so we shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And then number four, it's the word maha. Everyone say maha. maha. Yeah, man, that means to clap. Psalm 47, verse 1. It says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. So when we clap, now, I realize not everybody understands this because if we don't have the spiritual foundation or background, what we think is happening is what happens, for instance, when you go to a concert or when you go to hear someone do some some musical presentation, when they're done with their musical presentation, oftentimes, in order to show our appreciation to that person, we'll clap and we'll give them applause. When someone comes into the room, in order to show appreciation, we'll clap and, and, and be able to show them how much we appreciate them. But we need to understand that when we clap during worship service, it may have been skillful. The voices, the instruments, everything may have come together that just perfect that morning and everything may have been presented with great skill and, and everything went just well. But when we clap, it's not because this was good or that man did a great thing. We clap because we worship God. We clap because that's an expression of adoration to Him. As we worship and as we are led in that moment and we begin to clap, we say, Lord, You are great and greatly to be praised. The list is almost endless. I could spend countless hours. There are 52 different words used to communicate praise to God. 52. There's kneeling. There's laying prostrate on the floor. Yes, there's being quiet and being silent. There's leaping, there's bouncing, there's dancing, there's spinning. And I'm going to mention in just a moment that there's a protocol to all of these things. But God loves to be praised. Amen. He loves to be praised. Well, why must the Lord be praised? Well, I read to you in Psalm 100 three things. I want you to know, first off, that it's not because he's needy or he's desperate for attention. It's not as if God somehow is up there and he's just this great big black hole and if his people don't praise him, he just won't feel good about himself. That's not God. It's not that he has this ego that needs to be fed. But the Bible tells us three quick things that are required to remember as we praise him. We praise him, number one, because the Bible says the Lord is good. God's been good, hasn't he? Hadn't he been good to you this year? I mean, you're still here and you're still breathing and... They haven't carted you away to the gulag or out to Siberia and, and locked you up. You, yeah, I'm looking at everybody. Looks like you've ate pretty good this year. I know I have. God's healed your body. He's delivered you. He's resourced you. Some of you have received miracles this year. I mean, God's goodness. You could have died in a car accident. You drove up on an accident that happened just before you got there and didn't realize that God held you up in order to keep you out of that thing. I mean, God is good, is He not? He's good, so we can praise Him. Secondly, His mercy is everlasting. You need to praise God that you didn't get what you deserve. I'm telling you, I praise God for that. Because truth of the matter is, if I got what I deserved and you got what you deserved, we'd all be toast. His mercy is everlasting. You need to thank God and just say, God, thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you that you gave me that chance to repent. Thank you that you gave me that chance to get right with you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't expose me in front of everybody. That, that if they would have saw everything that was going on in my life, I'd have been embarrassed. Thank you for keeping that covered and, and dealing with me in a way that I could respond to you. His mercy, his mercy is everlasting. Number three, it says that his truth is generational. Praise God. We, we praise him because we don't have to learn things over and over and over again. We don't have to learn things the hard way. We praise him that he tells us before we have to stumble. He tells us before we have to go around that mountain one more time. We praise him. And when we begin to praise the Lord, things begin to happen. Now, this is when you need to get your pencil out if you haven't already. And man, get this in your spirit. I'm going to go through this rapidly right now. We begin, when we begin to praise God, things begin to happen. Number one is... He will inhabit that praise. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of Israel. Psalm 22, verse 3. He inhabits the praises of his people. If you want God to show up in your situation, if you're wondering where God is, you don't feel like God's around, you wonder why he's not involved and what's going on in your life, then you need to start praising God. Because when you praise God, he begins to inhabit the praises of his people. That's his address. That's, that's, that's his place that he resides, is wherever the praise of God is. It is the doorway to his presence. If you want to draw God into your situation, you've got to learn to begin to praise God. Hey, let me just say this. If you say, well, I don't have anything to praise God about, then you don't get it. Say, you don't praise him because you don't have anything to praise him about. You're still breathing, so you've got something to praise God about. You praise him because he's worthy of that praise and that adoration. You're actually praising him in a way that says, Lord, I know you're going to turn this thing around. Number two, it'll break a dry spell. It'll break a dry spell. You know, in the Bible, there was a time in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, that the people of Israel ran out of water. And the Bible says that in Numbers 21, verses 16 and 17, that they got together and they began to praise God. They sang a song and it broke the drought. Some of you right now may be in a dry time. Some of you right now might feel like that it's just a difficult, deserty kind of time in your life. You don't feel God's presence. You don't, you don't feel like you used to feel. It's not quite what it originally was in your life. You can break that drought if you just choose to rise up and begin to praise Him. You can break a dry spell. Number three, the Bible tells us that if we'll praise God, it'll silence the enemy. Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2 says that when we begin to praise God, it will silence the enemy. You, ever, you, you know, if Satan talks to you, and I know he, he has visited with some, he'll begin to throw things in your mind, talk in your ear. He'll cause you to speculate, argue, lofty things, high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. He'll begin to whisper that stuff in your ear. He'll chirp negative things, discouraging things, depressing things. You know how you get the enemy to shut up? Just praise God. Begin to praise God. And if he starts getting louder, just praise God louder. And you'll praise that thought and you'll praise that activity right out of your mind. It will silence the enemy. You can shut the enemy up if you want to. Number four, it will break that depression and discouragement. People always will say this. They say, well, I feel down. I, you know, I just feel down and I'm a little depressed and I'm a little discouraged and I really don't have much to praise God about. The Bible says in Isaiah 61 verse 3, it says to take off the spirit of heaviness and to put on the garment of praise. Put it on. That means put it on. 
I mean, there are some days you get out of bed and you may not want to go to work, you may not want to go to school, you may not want to do those things, and you just like to hang around all day and stay in your pajamas. But there comes a moment you have to say, if I want to eat, if I want to pay my bills, if I want, to, if I want life to keep on working, I'm going to have to take, get a shower and put on some clothes and get out with my day. Folks, that's what happens. We've got to put on the garment of praise. We've got to put on what it is we want to wear. Amen. Number five, it opens up your spirit for a word. If you praise God, it'll break up that fallow hard ground in your heart. You'll begin to hear God better. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily you'll get a personal prophetic word. But what it does mean is, is that there is a far greater opportunity that, that through maybe a, an exhortation or a testimony or preaching or teaching, that God will begin to speak to you specifically, uniquely, and individually. You're opening up your heart. When we worship God at the front end of the service, we're breaking up that hard ground. Because all through the week, the world has just been pounding on us. Just pounding on us and causing that ground to get hard as it pounds on us. And there comes a moment we need to come to the house of God and look at the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to praise you so the plow can go in deep, turn that hard ground over, and you can seed me with a promise. You can seed me with a word. You can seed me with direction and guidance and help and hope. It'll open up your spirit for that. Number six, it will release angelic help. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. The Bible tells us that the armies of Israel were outnumbered three to one. No way, no how. When you're outnumbered three to one, you're in a battle that you really don't want to go into. But this battle was scheduled. There was no way out of it. It was with Jehoshaphat and the army. They listened to the prophet. They responded to the word of the Lord. And the Bible says that they began to praise God. And when they began to praise God together, even on the outset of this battle, God heard the praise and the Bible says that angelic help was released into that situation and angels were dispatched in order to begin to implement God's dealings and God's victory in that particular situation. Are you beginning to see praise is just so critical in our life? If we'll begin to praise God, we can activate things in the spirit realm. And God will begin to release ministering servants to assist you and to help you. But if we choose, we choose, well, I don't want to praise God. I don't got nothing to praise Him about. I don't want to do that. I don't like that. I don't want anything to do with it. Then you are, you are binding up what God would want to do. Amen. Number seven, it can bring deliverance to you in tough places. It can bring deliverance to you in tough places. In the book of Jonah, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever really just preached from Jonah before. I mean, it's a familiar story. And uh, it's tucked in there with all those they call them minor prophets. It's right around Obadiah. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. Now, he's in the belly of the whale, the belly of that great fish, whatever it was. And this is what he says. But I will sacrifice to you, and Jonah's talking to the Lord. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Can I just say this? When you're in the belly of a great fish, I, I, I mean, that's a tough place. I, I mean, we won't, even, we won't even venture into all the sights and sounds and smells. That's a tough place. But it says here, it says from Jonah's own mouth, he says, I will sacrifice to you. You know, whenever I see that, you know what that means to me? It's, it says this to me. It says, 
I don't feel like it. I don't know that I understand it. I'm not quite sure why I'm doing it. But I'm going to go ahead and do it. And as a sacrifice, I'm going to bring it to you, O God. And I will give you the sacrifice of praise. And the Bible says that as soon as he sacrificed his praise to the Lord, as soon as he did what he had vowed he would do, and and that means to me somewhere in his life, he made a commitment to God that said, Lord, I'll praise you no matter what. Anybody ever make that kind of commitment to God besides me? We always make those commitments when it's good. You know, things are going good. God's released the miracle, you know, hundredfold back to us. And everything's going great. Oh, God, I'll praise you no matter what. Hallelujah. Praise God. You are good. Yanny, yanny, yanny. And the first time we get into a tough spot, where does all that go? Right out the fishes. Yeah, right there. Anyway, it went out. But that's when you've got to give the sacrifice of praise. Praise God when the hundredfold comes. Praise God when the rays comes. Praise God when the healing hits. Praise God when all the goodness of God begins to manifest in your life. Praise God. But my question and God's question is, will you give the sacrifice of praise when it's not so good? And when you're in a tough situation and when you don't understand it and you're not getting it and it doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair and there's so many questions and you're in confusion and and that whole time you're working around and going, I don't get why i got to do this for God when all this is going on around me. Will you just be quiet and offer the sacrifice of praise? I'm going to praise you, God. Kill me, but I'll go out praising you. Save me, I'll go out praising you. But I'm here to tell you, I will praise the Lord. Number eight, it opens doors. Acts 16, 25. You know the story of Paul and Silas being in prison. They decided to have a little sing fest there. And they begin to sing. And all of a sudden, as they began to praise God, you know the story. An earthquake came, shook the jail, opened up the door. They walk out. They get to walk through a new door, out an old door. And they decided as long as they were walking out, might as well get a few people saved along the way. Praise God. I'm talking to you folks about things that can change your circumstance if you will praise God. I mean, you don't have to wait to get to the next service, the next CD series. You don't have to wait until the convention comes or the conference comes. You can go home this afternoon, Monday through Saturday. You can praise God. And when you begin to praise God, things start happening. It starts happening. Number nine, praise always precedes the victory. It always precedes the victory. Psalm 106 verse 47 says, We triumph in the praise of God. Judah, which means praise, the very word Judah is is praise. They said that they would send Judah into battle first. They'd send that, that tribe into the battle first because when Judah went into the battle, that was praise. And whenever you send praise into the battle first, you're declaring that this battle is won. We haven't shot a single shot. Haven't raised our swords, haven't done a thing yet, but we're going to praise God because the battle's won. It's, we, speak, we speak the end from the beginning. We declare the victory in advance. We begin to praise God when there's nothing to praise Him for. We begin to declare His greatness when it doesn't look like He's all that great at this particular moment. Why? It's because we're moving in faith. We're doing that which we know to do. We thank Him and praise Him. He's won it. Every Sunday, we come here. Every Sunday should be Super Sunday. Every time we come to the house of God, it should be a victory celebration. And the reason it should be that way is because, folks, we win. You win. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter how you came in this morning. 
The good news is this, that if you'll love God, serve God, and you'll praise God, you'll win. Now, you may not win in 24 hours, maybe not in 48. It may take more than a week or a month, sometimes more than a year. But if you'll get it in your heart that you'll hang tough with Him and you'll praise God no matter what, I'll assure you, you will win. You will win. It always, praise always precedes the victory. And then finally, number 10, it'll bring success and blessing. Whenever a people are found that praise the Lord, you're going to find success and blessing. So how do you start in this? I was, I was thinking back to the days when I was kind of new to the things of the Spirit. You know, I, I, I had to be led along. This is back in the late 70s, excuse me, the late 80s. And, and, and God began to deal with me about the things of the Spirit, and I was new to all of this, didn't understand a lot of it. You know, it's interesting how you can know the Bible, understand the Bible, have read it so many times, but sometimes you need God to mess with your heart. And God was messing with my heart. I knew a lot of Bible, but God was messing with my heart. And uh, as He began to deal with me and work on me and talk to me and lead me and guide me, there are just some things that... He began to put in me that helped me get a handle on this area of praise. And the first one is this. Number one, I, I had to first see the need to practice precept. You have to see the need to practice precept. God's word isn't true because I feel like it's true. I'll say that again. God's word is not true because I feel like it's true. It's true because it's true. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There are some days I'll read it and I don't feel... Like, I like that. You heard what Mark Twain said one time. He said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. He said, it's the things that I do understand that bother me. Sometimes you can read the word and, and you're reading it and, and you just don't feel all that good about what God just said. So when you begin to understand my disposition, and I mentioned it at the start of this message that you know, I'm, I'm 47 years old. It's not like I was when I was 27, 29, 30 years old. So I, I'm never going to be probably like my son who's in his early 20s and he praises God. So I'm probably not going to have the same level of energy and expression. I, you know, I understand that and I believe God loves me and I'm not a second class citizen because I'm not like the young people who can bounce for two hours. You know, they just, they can just bounce there for two hours and they never stop bouncing. They don't even work up a sweat hardly. They just bounce and... And, and, you know, for me, I just, I bounce for 60 seconds and i am got sweat running down my face. So I understand that, that for me, I've, I've, got, I've got energy levels that are different and I'm changing. But you know what? My zeal, my zeal, my passion really ought not change. And, and, and I need to let my disposition be subject to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I had to do that up front because... And if you were to talk to folks at Evangel Cathedral, they'll tell you when I first came to Evangel, they'll still laugh to this day. And we're talking, I don't know, 18, 19 years later. They, they, they will tell you, Kevin was, was tight. He was stiff. He just, he just, you know, it looked like his face would crack. You know, I mean, if he, just, if he smiled. And all these things would happen. And so I had to allow God to work on me. And begin to bring me out and help me out of this thing. Because ultimately, I do love God. And I want to love God. And, and I want to be teachable unto the Lord. And worship Him. Number two. I believe praising God is an expression of humility. My pride is always addressed when I praise God. Always addressed. Because whenever we praise God, we always say to ourselves, well, what will I look like? Or what will people think? Or, you know, will I get a reputation? Or, 
You know, I mean, my pride is always touched. I cannot tell you how many times when I'm sitting there going, what do they think? What do they think if I do that? And, and you know, in the circles I grew up in, it was interesting. This is how different churches do it. You know, in, in the Church of the Nazarene, which is what I grew up in, you could raise one hand, but you couldn't raise two hands. Because that, that yeah, you'd be charismatic. And of course, you, that, that, you know. So one hand was cool. Now, I learned this, and I didn't know this, but there were certain Baptist circles that you could lift your hand as long as your Bible was in your hand. And if your Bible was in your hand, then it was okay. If, the, if you raised your hand without your Bible, they'd watch you. I'm just, I'm just telling you. What will people think? Will I get a reputation? I don't know. I mean, I, no more than a, a reputation I wouldn't suppose if you went to Carolina or Clemson and screamed your brains off there. Do you get a reputation after you leave there? I don't know. But praising God's an expression, I believe, of our humility. And number three, though, I want you also to know praise has a protocol to it. That, that there's an order to these things. Ecclesiastes 3 says that there's a time for everything. And the Bible says that there's even a time to dance, which implies that there may not be a time to do that. Now, I, I, I'll just share with you, here's my view. Praise is an individual moment that's expressed in a corporate gathering. In other words, when we come together as the church and we begin to praise God, it's just not us as, as a people, it is that. But, but even within the mix of all these people being here, as we begin to praise God, there's, there's an individuality and there is a uniqueness to that. It's the, the most amazing thing about the Lord is, is that He can look at us as a nation he can look at us as a people and he can look at us as a person. But as you begin to worship God, you need to understand that, that while it is true you are expressing an individual adoration to God, you are not the center of the adoration. God is. And if your praise draws attention to you in a way that's out of order or it begins to solicit people's attention away from God then that is out of order. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, but there's not anarchy. So sometimes it's in order for us to gather and we just, you know, this is my phrase, let it rip potato chip. I mean, we can just all worship God and just express our adoration to Him in a, in a very vehement, demonstrative way. But sometimes that's not the order. Sometimes as God moves in the sanctuary, you know how it works. There are times that there are there can be a quieter moment or there can be a lull. And if all of a sudden there's this quiet moment, there's this lull that's ordered by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you're going, yeah, oh, he, ha, oh, oh, oh. well, that probably isn't God at that moment. Because obviously the Holy Ghost is talking to everyone else on a little bit different wavelength. So there's an order to it. And if you ever want to know what the order is, you can, that's why they set in pastors and leaders and authority. Because you can kind of understand what the order is. And there's a discernment to the flesh and the spirit. And all of this has a protocol to it. So I understand there are some things that are out of order. They're not in order. And so you watch your worship leader. You, you, you watch Clay and as he assists us in worshiping God. You watch him and begin to understand what it is that God's doing. That's why they're there for us. They help us and guide us and direct us as we begin to reach out to God. So praise has a protocol to it. It's not just, you know, this crazy anarchy that begins to take place. I don't know. I've been in these circles long enough. I've been in some services that were, they, that wasn't liberty, that was anarchy. And I don't know if God was there or not. I, maybe everybody had a good time, but I don't know if God was there. 
So that takes discernment. And that's why leaders are there to help do all those sorts of things. And number four, you've got to press through your flesh. I want you always to remember that praise, the praise of God is not sissy. It's not something just the women do. David was a warrior. He was a king. He was a fighter. I want you to understand, David was a man's man. He would whoop your tail. Man, David, I mean, he, was, he would lead men into battle. He took on Goliath. I want you to know this guy was not a sissy. And yet David is the model that the apostles would use later in the book of Acts when they talk about the restoration of the tabernacle of David. They used him as a model for how praise needed to be restored. And David would worship and praise God until he worked himself into a, a sweat. I want you to know you gotta, you got to press through your flesh. I'm, I'm going to tell you this last story and I'm done. I can remember years ago, and this is that time period when God's working on me, and I went off on a men's retreat. And, and I don't know if you ever heard of Look Up Lodge. It's up in the upstate, I believe, of South Carolina. And we went to Look Up Lodge, and there were probably 100, 150 men that went there. And uh, it was really my first getaway with a bunch of guys who were full gospel and in those sort of circles. And so, so the worship, the praise began to start, and everybody's clapping, and of course the guys are together. And, and it's one of those kind of moments when it's being very expressive. And, you know, the guys are out of town, and, you know, they can kind of cut loose a little bit and... It's just an easier place, I think, at times for guys to just worship and, and, and express their adoration to God. But the Lord started dealing with me at this thing. And, and I tell you, there's nothing worse than when God starts dealing with you and you start fussing with him. You know what conviction is? It's when God's dealing with you and you don't want to let him deal with you. And some people describe it as guilt. Some people describe it as being uncomfortable. But conviction is actually a good thing because that means God's loving on you and he wants to teach you something. He wants to help you. He wants to restore you. He wants to do something in your life. Don't despise conviction. We're living in a society that anytime conviction shows up, they'll say, I'm not comfortable there. Well, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never walk in the fullness of God if you think you're always going to be comfortable around him. I mean, he's going to zip you and zero in on you. He's going he's to look into your heart and motives and he's going to knock things, chips off your shoulder and things off your shirt sleeve, and he's just going to pound you sometimes. So get ready, because he loves you. And so, you know, I'm sitting there, and he's messing on me, dealing with me. And I'm going, oh, come on, God. Does it have to be now? Just, you know, just, no. The Lord was dealing with me. And those were the years. Now, we, we, actually, what we do now is most of us bounce if we praise God. But most of us bounce. That's, we're kind of in the bouncing era, I guess. Back in those days, there was probably a little bit more expression. There was a little bit more leg movement that would happen. And God's working on me right there. And I can remember at that particular moment, I just said, he was just dealing with me. It was that season. It didn't, I couldn't do anything right. Everything was just getting dealt with. And finally, I said, all right, Lord, I know what you're asking. And, and, there were, and it was in order. It was, it was a great service where there was this, this open expression of, of praise to God and and I had to slip out from the place I was standing and I, I, had to, I had to begin to move my feet and just worship God. Oh, you don't know how that flesh was dying at that moment. You don't, you can't, you can't even, you can't even know. You, oh, I, you say, you, you were moving? Yes, I was moving, but it was like every time there'd be a little hop, it was like a nail was going through my hand. It was just, I was dying. Until finally, it died. 
It just died. If you ever wonder how to die, you just do whatever God's asking you to do until you die. And then once you die, it's over. Isn't that good news? You just die, it's done. But what we do is we want to keep living when you just ought to die. And when you die, he can begin to live in you. And things began to change. And things opened. And, and, and again, all the things that I mentioned to you began to take place. Now, here's the deal. No, nobody's going to leverage you into something you don't want to do. No one's going to think any less of you. No one's going to make you, force you. But this is, this is where I am. I, I, I want you to know that as people come and as the next generation even comes, I want them to be zealous and passionate for God. Now, if you say, well, I don't know that I want that or buy that, okay, I'm cool with you. Be cool with me. Because, because I, want, I want the next generation not to have to get their buzz off MTV. I don't want the next generation to have to get their buzz going to their sporting events and all the other things that the world has for them. I want them to get their buzz when God's in the house. And that's what I want for people, too. And if you're there, that's cool. I am happy. I am. I, God loves you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. No judgment at all. But all I'm simply saying is understand this. I want, I want a generation that will reach out to God and love him with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. And this is what I believe. I believe that a generation is out there that gets so hammered with the things of the world that we, we are going to have to blast them out of that place. That's what I believe. I, I believe there has to be an energy and a presence of God that is absolutely going to confront the junk they face out there. They're getting buzzed by everything under the sun and it's time that they got the once of a lifetime buzz meeting Jesus and serving Him. Amen. So we want to worship God. You ready to worship God? Praise God. Stand up with me. Put your hands together. Everybody, start putting your hands together. Come on now. Hey, put your hands together. Come on now. Come on, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Yeah. Hallelujah! We bless you, sir. We honor you. Come on, don't give up on him. Come on. Don't you give up on him. Come on. We bless you, sir. We honor
Come on. 